And so if you've, uh, this is your first time here, um, obviously it's been a couple weeks since we've preached this mess, uh, since uh, we, we've talked about the series in Acts, but we're in a series of Acts, um, and, and we're in chapter 13 of Acts this morning. Uh, we are going to be in Acts uh, till the fall at some point, um, but with God allowing uh, thunderstorms and electricity coming out, uh, this is extending. So bear with us as we adjust and as we program. Um, for some of you, you're probably wondering, we were supposed to have a guest. What is happening with that? Well, we've switched Tim from last week because of electricity to April 23rd, and so he'll be back in a couple weeks. I'm thankful that he had time in his schedule to readjust, and so we will have Tim, um, who is uh, the, uh, the Vice President of Development for the uh, Alliance as a whole, um, and so he'll be our guest speaker um, and, and look forward to what he has for us um, and, and what God has laid on our hearts. Uh, but just to kind of catch you up, uh, Acts 12, um, we, saw, um, we saw Herod persecuting Christians to the point that it's now gone from persecution to killing. And he killed one of the followers of Jesus, and they imprisoned Peter, and they put him in prison uh, partly because it was Passover. Uh, during Passover, courts, everything is closed, remember? And while he's in prison, Peter gets freed, um, partly, uh, most, mostly, if not all, because of God, but because the church was praying. And in that prayer, God answered their prayer. And Peter was freed from prison. Um, and, and then we see all that. And then at the end of chapter 12, we saw that Herod died because he failed to give glory where glory was due, and that was to Jesus. Um, and so this morning, um, Acts 13 is, is weird. Um, can you ever watch movies where you're watching it and all of a sudden they're like, three months ago, and then this happens? And so this chapter in Acts 13 is somewhere between, in the middle of Acts 11 and, and the end of Acts 12. It's happening. We don't know fully when all these things are happening, um, but we know a couple things that were going on uh, during that time. And let me ask you guys a question. Has God ever told you something, but yet you still had to wait for it to happen? Like, God, you said this. It's five years later, and this still hasn't happened, but I'm standing upon this promise. Have you ever felt God say something to you, but then you had to still wait, and you had to wait, and you had to wait? What am I getting at? Acts 13 is when we're going to see Paul finally sent on his first missionary journey. But here's the thing. This happens 10 to 15 years after his conversion. And so God saves him, says that I've called you to the Gentiles, and then waits 10 to 15 years to finally send him. And sometimes we're sitting there going, all right, God, why? Why this wait? What is happening? And so this morning, we're finally getting to the point of Paul being called and being sent. But we have to understand this, is that in this time of our calling, in this time of everything that's happening, we have to understand that nothing comes easy, amen? Nothing comes easy. When something good is happening, or you definitely feel called, and you're going it, and there's all of this push-up and all of this resistance, we begin to question, God, have you really called me to this? And so this morning, 
as we get going, here's what we're going to talk about in Acts chapter 13. Here's the one thing I got you guys to understand is this, is that as you live out your God-ordained calling, you will experience resistance and victories. God has called each and every single one of you, and God has a purpose for you. But what we're going to see is that even in our calling, there's going to be resistance. There's going to be trouble. There's going to be hardship. There's also going to be tons of victories that we get to celebrate and experience the joys of. And what we're going to see is Paul's calling resistance and victory all in one. And so if you have your Bibles, open up with me to Acts chapter 13. And so if you've got Bibles, I'm going to invite you to stand as we read this together. Uh, don't worry, it is only 12 verses that we're reading this morning, and so it's going to be shorter than usual. Uh, but next week's going to be about 40 verses. So, uh, um, but we're going to invite you to read this together as we get started. Uh, Acts chapter 13, starting in verse 1. Now there were in the church of Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus, and when they arrived at Salamis, <laughs> they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. And when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. You guys can be seated. So I looked the other day, Because I was curious, and I discovered and found out that there are over 8 billion people in the world. Now, right now, there is over 8 billion people in the world, and more people are born, some pass away. But think about, when we think about that, when compared to all of human history, there has been a lot of people that had been born and lived on this world, and lived. And here's the thing we have to understand. In Genesis 1, right, we see God create the heavens and the earth. 
And he created light and darkness, and he created stars and the moon and the sun, and, and he created all the plants and all the animals and the fish of the sea. And then we see on day six, what? That God created man in whose image? His own image, right? And then we see in Genesis chapter two, this beautiful purpose and calling that man had. And, and, and God says that there is no Adam for the Adam A. There is no Adam to work the ground, to take care of the garden. And so God created man to care for, to work, to cultivate, to name the animals. And all of these things were happening. And here's the reminder that every single person that is born, has been born, has a curl and a purpose from God. Whether they're believers or not, there is a calling and a purpose. God has specifically created them and made them and ordained them and, 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 and sovereignly planned out their whole entire lives. He has a purpose for them. Now, as believers, that purpose becomes exemplified when we talk about us as believers and our calling as Christians and our calling in life. But see, here's the thing we got to understand. God didn't create the church and Christian ministry until after he rose from the dead. In the beginning, God created man to worship him by working, by cultivating, by creating, by, by, by including, by, by enabling, by, by leading. Our leadership in this world, and leadership in general, was created before the fall. Work was created before the fall. Work in and of itself is a, is a, a, a beautiful thing from God. But it's in the fall that, that work in and of itself was tarnished. Why we have the troubles and the hardship of our labors. But when God created us, he created us with a purpose, and that was to bring glory and worship him. But sin totally destroyed that and tarnished that. And in the, promise, in the process of all that, sin tarnished our view of ourselves and view of, of the world. And so we begin to ask questions like, why am I created? Like, what's the point? What's my purpose? Why am I created? This world is awful. These things are going on. What do I do? And somewhere along the line, when the church was created and, and all these things, we began to identify calling solely just in Christian ministry. But we have to understand that everyone's calling isn't necessarily in full-time ministry or calling. So what is it? How do we discover our calling? How do we figure out, God, what did you create me for? What is my purpose? Well, I firmly believe here at Acts 13 we're going to begin to see application of how we can determine what God has called us to and the practices to determine that. Now, this isn't going to answer everything, but each and every single one of you here was created for a purpose on purpose. You're not just by accident. Everyone in the world was intentionally created by God for a specific reason. And here's the beautiful thing. That calling for each and every single one of us is different. So maybe you're here and you've discovered your calling. You figured out that your calling is to, to serve and protect or your calling is to be a farmer or your calling is to, to, to create things out of lumber. Whatever that is, God has given you a calling and a purpose. How do we determine that? Well, let's again look at what God is doing here in Acts 13. 
But I'm just going to back up um, a little bit because this is, this is important. The first verse described names, described people, right? People from all different cultures and ethnicities. You have Barnabas, who was a great encourager. The Bible says that, that, that he was one that, that did a lot for the church, but he was gifted as an encourager. Uh, his name means son of encouragement. He was a man from Cyprus, which was an island in the Mediterranean Sea. And then you have Simeon, who is called Niger. Uh, Niger, Nigerian, most likely he is from Africa. Um, and this word in the Greek, Niger, actually means uh, Simeon the Black. It is actually a person of color. So Simeon is not, um, not like Barnabas. He is different. Um, and here's the thing we got to understand. Majority of the time, slaves in the Bible, Simeon at one point most likely was a slave, but slaves in the Bible were not forced. Slaves in the Bible a lot of times were people who were like, I need to make money, and so I'm offering you for myself to work for you, to take care of my family. Unlike in British and American times when, when slavery a lot of times was forced, uh, slavery a lot of times during here was something that he, they honored it. And in honoring that, if he served for a believer, that believer would look to equip and encourage and lead that person to Jesus and then allow him to serve in his gifting and his abilities. And so Simeon was, was a server. He, he was a teacher. He was a prophet. He was, he was someone that God was using, but he wasn't like Barnabas. And then you have Lucius, and we don't know much about. All we know that he was from the Mediterranean Sea in modern-day Libya. Manian comes from the Greek word that means brought up with or stepbrother or intimate friend. And so he would have been a close friend with Herod, but was a follower of Jesus, unlike Herod. So he would have been close. And then you have Saul, a veteran evangelist, a church planter, a Jew, a Roman. Uh, he was an outer towner. He was from Tarshish. And so why did Luke describe all these people? And partly is because I believe that each and every single one of us are uniquely made in the image of God for specific purposes. And God uses people from all over the world for his goal and for his glory and for his mission. Every single one of us, while we may look different, are from one family. <laughs> and that's the beauty of the gospel is that the gospel doesn't look at race or any of the color of your skin or where you're from. The gospel says, hey, I love you. Jesus died for you, and you need to repent of your sins and turn to me. It doesn't matter who you are. God's gift of salvation is for you, and, he, and it doesn't matter who you are. God desires to use you because he's made you and created you. And so you have all these people that were created for God. And then we go to verse 2. And in verse 2, as we understand that each of us has a God-ordained calling and purpose, here's what it says in verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Sit apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. What were they doing? What were all these men and all these people doing? They were what? You guys are asleep. They were worshiping and fasting. 
They were worshiping the Lord and fasting. This wasn't just, here's the thing about this in this culture and these believers, that this wasn't just some scheduled prayer meeting. This was their everyday life. They were saturated with Jesus. They spent time with Jesus. They prayed with Jesus. They were intimate with Jesus and together worshiped and they were fasting together. They were ministering to one another. This wasn't just, hey, uh, just a Sunday ritual that they do once a week. This was something they did continually. This was their life. Besides working, they desired to be with each other in fellowship and praising and worshiping and encouraging. And they were doing so many things. And it says that the Lord spoke. Here's the thing we got to understand. When it comes to hearing the voice of God, when it comes to understanding your calling and your purpose, we have to spend time with Jesus. We hear the voice of God clearer the more time that we spend with him. The more time that you spend in prayer and worship and in his word, because his word is our ultimate voice, his ultimate voice for us, the more time you spend there, the more that you're going to begin to hear the spirit working. And I have people all the time that come to me saying, man, I, I just can't hear the voice of God. I can't hear the Spirit talk to me. I, can't, I, I don't know what to do. I, I don't hear it. And my question is, is how often do you spend time with Jesus? Well, I read the Bible in church on Sundays. Church, that is not going to be enough if we truly want to hear the voice of the Lord. And this wasn't some audible, large bolsterous voice that the Holy Spirit just spoke to them. This was them speaking and praying and together in unity. They, they just felt this thing on their heart going, man, this is God. This is the Lord speaking. And so we have to understand that when we're spending time in prayer and in worship, and, and the more times that we spend intimately knowing Christ, the deeper and clearer we're going to hear his voice. And the Spirit commanded them. And they were open to hearing that voice. And so church, the question I have for you today, are we open to hearing the voice of the Lord? Because the voice of the Lord is going to ask us and maybe speak to us and tell us to do some pretty crazy things. And during this time, they're hearing this voice and, and, and they're saying that the Holy Spirit's saying, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas for which I have called them. There's the word calling, the, the call unto. All throughout the New Testament, this word was used when Jesus called the disciples unto himself, or he called the crowd unto himself. And, and in this point, it's saying that, that I've called Paul and Barnabas to full-time ministry unto myself to be an evangelist, to be missionaries, and I'm calling you to send them. And here's the great thing. It says that they were, they were fasting. Fasting, when we fast, we, we are saying that we desire a deep dependency and expectancy on Christ. When we're fasting for something, it means that we are saying we're giving this up so that we can focus on Christ more. And we realize that when we're not dependent on these things, we realize that we can be dependent more on Christ. And so they're fasting because they want to be dependent upon Christ. And in that obedience, they were willing to send. Church, here's the thing. During this time, the church could have said, God, we're not sending Paul and Barnabas. Are you kidding me? Some of the greatest teachers we have? We want them for our church. We don't want to send them. We want to keep them for ourselves because we, we want to grow in you. They help us to understand the Bible. 
all these things, and they're changing people's lives, and we want that. But here's the thing, church. A gospel-centered church is all about releasing. I have some people, I, pastors are here all the time, they're like, we train up all these people in our church, and then they leave. And they're like, we don't want them to leave. And the question is, so you want them, you want to train them and keep them, or you don't want to train them and they stay, what happens? And a question that was asked is, as a parent, you give birth to a child, do you want them to stay in your house all, their whole entire lives? Or do you want them to go and, and have their own family and have their own house and have all these things? Church, as Christians and believers, as we make disciples, our calling at times is to release them to plant more churches, to go. Or maybe God is calling them to another church because their gifting is going to be utilized there. And as a church, we could say, hey, we don't want you to go. Or we could say, you know what? If that is what God is saying and we sense it and we know that that church can use your gifting and we affirm it, we're going to send you. And so the church not only heard the voice of the Spirit, but it says that they affirmed it. They, they affirmed it, right? And, and, and affirming it also says then they spent some more time in prayer, and then they what? They sent them. Church, if we want to find our calling and we want to understand what our calling in life is, we have to have a deep dependency on Christ. We have to seek him in prayer. This commentary, uh, Exalting Jesus, just says this, churches that impact the world exalt Jesus passionately and seek him in prayer dependently and expectantly. Church, if we want to know our calling, our purpose in life, what better way than to spend time with the one that created us, the one that knows us, the one that says, I, I've given you a purpose. And the more time we spend with them, the more that we're going to hear the voice of God. But here's the other flip side of this. It's dangerous to say, God has called me to do this, so I'm going to go do it and neglect wisdom and not listen to leadership and not listen to elders and not listen to people in their lives. Church, your calling in life as in, in anything and your purpose in life is not separate from the affirmation of others. When it comes to Christian ministry, if you say, hey, I really think God is calling me to do this, but everyone around you is like, oh, we've got to talk about this. You don't have this. We have to listen. For me and my calling, I felt my calling when I was 12 years old. I'm sitting in a Sunday night service. Uh, it was a year after I got saved, and all of a sudden, God says, I want you to be a pastor. And I turned to my mom. I'm like, Mom, I have no idea what this is. I don't know what's happening, but this is what God's calling me to be. And over the next couple of years, as I began to serve and as I began to get hungry and as, as the church began to know me, they began to affirm this, saying, yes, we see this. We see this in your life, Mike. But I've, I've seen men, I've seen husbands who are like, hey, I'm called to this third world country. I'm called to this country. I'm just going to go. But here's the thing. The wife wasn't called. When you're married, the calling that God has placed on your life is going to be in unity with your spouse. God will never call you to something that the wife is not called to. Or the wife has no inkling of saying, yes, you know what, we're called. We have to understand this. But I've seen, I've seen husbands who, who are like, man, I'm called to this, and they leave their wives because their wife didn't want to go. And they divorced their wife and went. Church, when we do something that leads us to sin, it is not a calling from God. We have to understand that. And so 
If it's something that the church affirms, it's something that you're spending time with Jesus and you're thinking about and you're processing, you're going to hear the worship. And so the church listened, the church obeyed, the church prayed, and the church obeyed. Romans 1.1, as we affirm Paul's calling, right? Saul's calling. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. He is called to be an apostle. That was his gifting. That was his calling. And I'm so glad that both the community and the individuals were obedient to the call of Christ. Can you imagine if they refused? Can you imagine if Paul was never sent and the church refused? What would happen? I don't know. And so what happened next? So they're called and they're sent. So let's read verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. So Paul and Barnabas, they were led by the Holy Spirit, and we don't, we don't really know like the exact details of where they were called and the countries they were called to and how they would get there. Um, and, and so all we know is this, is that they went from Antioch-ish to Seleucia, and then from Seleucia, which the Mediterranean was a port city, then they sailed to the island of Cyprus. Now Cyprus, if we read, if we know at the beginning, is where Barnabas is from. And so they're kind of going to an island where Barnabas raised, grew up, and all of these things. And there, when they landed, they, they began to, to preach in the synagogues. But you're like, wait, what a minute. Wasn't he called to the Gentiles? Why is he preaching to Jewish people? Well, if you read all throughout Paul's letters and even in Acts, you see that, that he's first primarily, and most of his time, he's going to the Jews first. He's going to go preach to the Jews. He's going to go share the gospel to the Jewish people. And he's going to continue to do that. And so they were traveling, and we know that this island and all around here were really important people. Actually, William Barclay notes that and called it the Happy Isle because its climate was perfect and its resources were abundant. The island of Cyprus was a place that if you want to go on vacation, hey, you're going. But here's the thing. God doesn't always call us to our vacation spots to serve him. Even though we want to, God, can you send me here? Uh, God, my next pastorate, I want in Florida because I just want it to be warm, God. God doesn't necessarily do that. But they went, they preached to the synagogues, and they were traveling all throughout the island, and they would come around, and and now we get to the the town of uh, Paphos. And here's where things begin to get tricky for Paul and Barnabas. Remember what I said, is that in your calling, you're going to experience pushback and resistance and trouble and things are going to happen in your life and you're going to wonder, God, why? Lord, you call me to this. Why is it getting hard? Sometimes when it gets hard, you're exactly where God wants you. Because in those moments that God allows you to rely on his power and not your own. And so when you function within your calling, you will experience resistance. And so verse 6 when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Barjesus. He was the proconsul. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who was summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. 
as they were traveling through all this, things are great. They're preaching in the Jewish synagogues. Uh, people are probably coming to Jesus. They're having some probably interesting debates and interesting conversations. And they kind of come to this point. And in this verse, it says that the proconsul uh, sought to hear the word. And so there are a couple people who believe that there were missionaries on this island before Bar Paul and Barnabas got there. So there were already people planting seeds. And there were already people that were probably watering, and all these things were happening. And, and in life, you, you either are a planter or you're a sower. Like, you're, you're, you're either the one that's going to plant, or you're the one that's going to be at the harvest and be able to sow and harvest what was, what was happening. And so someone probably was speaking, and he wanted to hear the word of God more. Or the other option is, is that God was just already stirring in his heart. And he was like, man, I want to hear this. And so it says that they come upon a Jewish false prophet. Church, what is a false prophet? It's someone who wants to lead someone away from the truth. Plain and simple, right? And, and, and he is one who claims to know God, right? But yet he's still wanting to turn people away from the truth. And so here's this interaction with a magician. And this magician isn't the guy that just pulls rabbits out of his hat or does card tricks. This is a guy who's into witchcraft and sorcery and, and all of these things that are happening and, 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 this, and, and, and the proconsul. The proconsul is, is a governor. He is a Roman governor of this providence. So he was a man who was a leader. He was a man who was high up and in charge. And he was intelligent. Church, we have to know this. is that the gospel is even for those who are intelligent. Because in life, we're going, to come, we're going to come alongside and we're going to encounter people like Bill Gates and all these people who are intelligent, but yet they're lost. They don't know Jesus. And so they may understand uh, science. They may understand how the world works, but they're lost and going to hell because they don't know Jesus. Right? And so here is an intelligent man who, who understands a lot. He, he is in politics. He, he is... He is he, he's doing some things, and it says that he was hungry for the Lord, or hungry for the word of God. And so it says that they, they, he knew that Barnabas and Paul were in town, and so he summoned them, um, summoned, called. He called them unto himself. But as they were preaching, this magician, or his other name is Elimas, um, was opposing and seeking to turn the proconsul away from the truth. Church, we have Jewish false prophets, and we have Christian false prophets. These are Christians who, who say, hey, I'm a believer in Jesus, but they're totally leading people away from Jesus. And church, this is happening more and more and more. And, and, and even during, uh, you know, we, even during um, COVID, I couldn't tell you how many times people are like, they, you know, prophecy in terms of talking about the future the, the, the ultimate word of, of prophecy is speaking truth, right, boldly, right? And so here's a man, um, during COVID, there's a couple people, pastors, who, who were predicting certain things to happen and they never happened. Those are false prophets. Those are people that are seeking to lead people away from Jesus and not actually following the word of God. And, and church, I'm going to encourage you, anytime that you come in contact with someone who says, this is the truth or this is of Jesus, the word of God is your guideline. If it doesn't align with the word of God, it is false. 
And even the Spirit himself will not work outside the guidelines of the Word of God that God has given us. And so anytime we need to test the Spirit or anytime we need to test something, we go to the Word and say, does this align? Man, we, I, there's a man right now, um, and, and, and I'm just going to warn you about him. He is a, a, um, a progressive Christian. His name is Brandon. Here's a man that's claiming that God lied, that Jesus isn't the only way to heaven, that homosexuality is actually a holy thing by God. All these things are happening. And yet he claims to be a believer in Jesus, and he's a pastor of a church. Church, these things are real. We have to be evident, because here's the thing. Sometimes with false prophets, what they say actually may sound great. When we look at a line with Scripture, you're like, this doesn't even align. So church, as believers, my encouragement is know the word of God. Because you're going to come in contact with people who are going to say something, and it's going to actually sound right. But the more you dig into it, the more deeper you go, you realize all these things. Matter of fact, this man says that Jesus was racist. (laughs) If God lied and Jesus is racist, then they're not God. And they're not holy. So I want to warn you about these guys that are out there that are on YouTube, that are dominating the social media accounts, and yet they are anti-Jesus. They're false prophets. But here is a false prophet that is leading the governor away from hearing the truth. And church, here's the thing. In your calling in life, whether it is to be a pastor, whether it's to be a missionary, whether it's to be a farmer, a gardener, a construction worker, all these things, when you're following in God's calling, you will experience resistance. And you will experience things that are coming against you. And so Paul being called as a missionary, his encounter was with a man who was trying to turn people away from the truth of Scripture. But here's what he said. But Saul, who was also called Paul, Church, here's the transition. This is the transition. But, but we always, when I grew up, honestly, when I grew up, I thought Saul just changed his name. But the reality is this, is that Saul is his Jewish name and Paul is his Roman name. So from here on out, it makes sense that the people that Paul's going to deal with are more Roman, and it makes sense for them him to begin to use his Roman name. Actually, more likely, this is probably his real name or close to it. Um, and so here, here it changes to Paul, right in Acts 13. And it says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit and looked intently at him and said, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And immediately mist and darkness fell upon him and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. It's pretty ironic, Right? Here's a man that was full of darkness, full of deceit. Uh, he, he was blinded from the truth. And yet Paul actually blinded him through the power of the Spirit. And it was just, it made sense, right? This was just a picture of what he actually is happening. But you're looking going, wait, Paul, whoa, whoa, Paul, can you chill out a little bit? Did you really call this man the son of the devil? Did you really tell him that he is an enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy? Paul, I thought we had to be kind and nice. I thought we had to, uh, <laughs> I thought we had to, to be careful what we tell people and how we call them out on things. And, you know, Paul, like, why are you causing conflict? Like, shouldn't we people that run away from conflict and not actually do anything? <laughs> I 
And it would cause people to be uncomfortable knowing that Paul and his boldness. And in that time, he called our Jesus out. But here's the thing we have to understand. Is that the proconsul's soul was on the line. And Paul took that serious to the point that he couldn't take a chance of being nice and not standing firm and not calling out. And this man, proconsul, will come to know Jesus. His soul was on the line. Church, how serious are you about the souls of the people around you? How serious are you about expressing Jesus and making sure that, that in your interactions with them, they experience the true and living Jesus? And so here's a man that was trying to seek him away from the truth. And Paul's like, Bar Jesus, in the name of Jesus, stop. In the name of Jesus, you son of the enemy. You are one that's trying to pull him away from the truth. You're trying to take him away. You are a son of the devil. You're doing the devil's work, Bar Jesus. You're not doing Christ's work. You're doing the devil's work. And he, in that moment, had to call him out for what he was. He was a false prophet. Church, there's going to be times where God is going to lead you to speak the truth to someone, and it's going to be hard, but it has to be said. Because there's times where, where, where truth, in all of its boldness, has to be said. And Paul, he didn't do this out of his own flesh. It's just that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. So it was the Holy Spirit speaking through him to tell this man to stop what he was doing because he was seriously leading him away from Jesus. Bar-Jesus was opposed of the gospel. Bar-Jesus felt threatened by what was happening because the proconsul, as Paul, Saul, and Barnabas were talking, was like, man, this is great. I want this. I want this truth. And Paul had to stop it. Church, remember what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 18. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the death of the sea. Jesus was serious about the souls of his children. And yeah, when we look at this passage, right, it was little kids, but here's the thing. Jesus cares about your soul. To the point that if anyone threatens that and causes you to sin, it is better for them to wrap a millstone around their neck and to drop into the sea. He's serious about the souls of humanity. And Paul is serious about this man's soul. And so he spoke truth in the name of Jesus. And he said, stop making the path of the Lord crooked. Church, there's going to be people that are saying they believe, they say they follow Jesus, but yet they're, they're trying to crooked the path. We can't allow that. Paul was filled with the spirit, but our Jesus was filled with the seat. But here's the great thing that happened. Church, when you function within your calling and purpose, you will experience the joys of victories as well. There's going to be things in your life that you're going to celebrate, things in your life that you're going to go, man, this is great. Like, my heart is here. Like, God is doing some great things, and you are going to experience joy. Look at verse 12. And the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Here's an intelligent man that probably knows science and knows all of these things, but he was astonished by the word of the Lord. He was astonished by the gospel church. And it blew him away to the point that he became a follower of Jesus. 
The proconsul Sergius was blinded, and he needed someone to guide him, but now he can see, and it led him to the truth. If there's one thing we need to understand is that when preaching the gospel, you will have people who believe it, and you will have some who don't. And your calling, whatever that may be, is it a cop? Is it a, a car deal teller? Is it a bus driver? Is it a gardener? Whatever that may be, as believers, our purpose in that now becomes an opportunity to make disciples. So not only do you have a calling that God has given you a purpose, now you attach that to the calling of making disciples. And anywhere you go, you have chances of talking about Jesus. Don't miss those opportunities. Don't miss those opportunities to allow people to see the truth of Jesus. Our calling is so important. And each and every single one of you has a calling. This is what John Maxwell said. Finding your calling is like finding your why, the reason you exist, your purpose for living, your calling when you find and embrace it will result in the merging of your skills, your talents, your character traits, and experiences. It's your why. Your calling, your purpose is why you exist, why God has created you. And here's the thing. Not every one of you is going to be called to be a pastor like me. This is my specific calling. Not everyone here is going to be a missionary. Not everyone here is called to, uh, to be the president of the alliance or the vice presidents. Those are specific callings for specific people. Each and every single one of you has a calling. And I want to encourage you that your calling isn't necessarily uh, to be in full-time ministry, and that's okay. I mean, so many people are like, man, I just wish I was a pastor or I just wish this because I'll be able to talk about Jesus and it would be a great calling. And it's like, man, your calling is not that. For some of you, your calling may to be work in a steel mill for your life. It may be to work at Provia. And within that, you're going to find your why as to why you're there. But here's the thing. Your calling and your purpose, while it is ordained and given by God, may change the way it looks in seasons. So maybe... Maybe you're called, and your calling is to equip the next generation. Maybe your calling is to, to, uh, to provide a foundation for young people. And, and, and in one instance, it's this, and then God changes the season, but yet your calling still stays the same. My calling as a pastor is to love and lead like Jesus. And when I look at that, I see so many opportunities for me to equip, to release, to preach the gospel, all these things, but here's the thing. My season of being a pastor may one day come to an end, but my calling by God doesn't. It just looks different. It just, it, it just may shape to look different, but the, the, the reality is, is no matter where I work, no matter what God has called me to, I can love and lead like Christ no matter where I go. So what is your purpose? Why do you exist? And you may be asking, God, what is my calling? How do I discover it? How do I find it? What we have to understand is that your calling has been ordained by God before the foundations of the world. And you look through all scripture. You can look at uh, Jeremiah, and God's like, Jeremiah, before you were born, I called you to be a prophet. And Paul, and, and man, even Jesus, before he came, he had a purpose. And when he came, he had a purpose. And that purpose we read, we read, Today, in the celebration of Palm Sunday, is what? To be glorified. His calling and purpose in life is to be glorified. And how did he do that? He did it by going to the cross for our sins. 
He came to be a, a, to free people from their addictions. He came to save people. And in that, his calling was to be glorified. We saw it in Palm Sunday. We saw it in the passage. My calling to be glorified has now come. Each and every single one of us has a calling. But how do we find that? Well, if believers, we need to abide in Christ. Your calling and your purpose in life as believers will become clearer and clearer the more that you spend time with Jesus. Not just coming to church on Sundays and worshiping for an hour and a half and then going home and that's it. No, like you have to intimately know Christ. Your calling is not separate from the affirmation of others. You maybe say, hey, I, I'm called to be a teacher. Uh, it, it's what I'm called to. But yet people around you are like, I don't think so. And, and part of that is you have to listen and weigh out, okay, what is the truth and what's not? Because there might be people who derail you from that calling of a teacher, but there are going to be people who are willingly to speak into your life for truth. My calling as a pastor, anytime that God transitions us on or anytime, every couple months or even years, I turn to Becky and say, hey, Becky, are you still called to this? As a pastor's wife, are you still called to be a pastor's wife? Because my calling as husband and wife is interlocking. And I my, my first and primary calling as a husband is to my wife. And I have to lead her well. And if there come a point where she's like, I, I don't think I'm called to be a pastor's wife anymore, then I have to begin to listen and say, Spirit, what are you calling me to do next? What are you calling me to? We have to listen to the people around us. Paul and Barnabas was sent by the church and affirmed by the church. And so your calling will also be in line with your strengths and your potential. Your calling, like, and we talked about this as a board, like, we spend so much time in life and society trying to fix our weaknesses. But yet God has ordained you to have strengths. Find your strengths and function within your strengths. It's okay to quit and lead, but find your strengths. And so we need to learn to embrace our potential and our limitations because both of them are signposts pointing us forward into God's calling on our life. So here's just a couple questions to ask. What do you love and are passionate about? What makes you angry? What keeps you up at night? What are you good at? What are you bad at? What does the world need? What are open doors in my life? What is God blessing? What are people who know you singing? And what's the spirit stirring in your heart? These are great things to ask as you discover your calling. Maybe, maybe you're in something and, and you're just working because you just want to make money, but yet you're, you're unfulfilled. You're not satisfied. This is not your heart. What is God saying? There's a story of a guy who was an ex-Navy SEAL. He retired and he thought that his calling was to take over his family's jewelry business. And so he begins to work for his family's jewelry business, but he's unhappy. He's sad. And there's a man who comes to him and says, what is going on? This isn't me. I'm not joyful. I'm not fulfilled. And he says, well, what do you want to do? I want to be a police officer. Then go do it. If God is calling you to be a police officer, go do it. And so he went and talked to his wife, and his wife was like, yes, I affirm this. Go. He went to his dad and said, dad, I can't run and take over your dad's business because this is what's happening in my heart. And his dad's like, go. And a couple of months later, they check in, and he's like, man, you're full of joy. You're happy. What is going on? Well, I went to the police academy, and now I'm a police officer. 
and I'm functioning with my calling. And his calling in life by God was to serve and protect. Church, money is not always the most important thing in life. Money's important. But what if God is, you're unhappy because you're not functioning with when the way that God has ordained you or called you? Or maybe you're in a company and you're in the wrong position. Maybe God is calling you here and you're gifted here, but yet you're here. Discover that. Ask God and talk to people about it. Let's pray. As the team comes forward. Lord, your calling on our life is special. It's incredible. There's going to be victories. There's going to be pushback and resistance. There's going to be failures. But God, in life, when we're fully obedient to you and following you, God, we we can, can discover our full potential. Lord, you created us with a purpose and a calling. Help us to discover that. Maybe calling and vocation align, and that's great. But if not, Father, may you begin to speak to people and show them, hey, while you're making money, this is what I actually called you to. Find a way to do it. But whatever that may be, Lord, our desire is to honor and praise you, to point people to you, not against you, not away from you. So, Lord, we're going to sing a song called Ancient Words. God's word is what leads and speaks the truth into our lives. May we stand upon it. Amen.